4.3 billion. That's the number of dollars the Adams administration estimates it will cost to house and provide services to asylum seekers in New York City this and next year. How to care for migrants coming to New York City certainly is a massive logistical, moral, and fiscal challenge. However, it is not the city's only fiscal challenge. In fact, when you add together the pre-existing budget gaps, the cost of newly minted labor contracts, traditionally under-budgeted spending like police overtime and special education, and the fiscal lifts existing if the city continues programs that are only funded for a short time with federal COVID aid and city funds, you will find that the city faces a $3 billion shortfall in the budget being negotiated right now, and that grows to a budget gap of $10.7 billion in just a few years. I'm Andrew Ryan, the president of the Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What's the Data Point, which again will feature a recording of one of our live events. Today we will hear from New York City's budget director, Jacques Gia. He joins us to discuss the fiscal year 2024 budget, which the administration and city council are negotiating as we speak today and should have completed by July 1st, the start of the next fiscal year. This will not be easy in these challenging times. The city may or may not face a recession. Remote work, online retail, and the acceleration of change during the pandemic leave huge questions about the future composition of the city's economy, including what will happen with the commercial office market whose vacancies are extraordinary. And certainly the politics of the day seem to give great voice to those who believe that the city alone can and should provide all services to all people for free. Good thing Dr. Gia has great experience in the public and private sectors. He's been budget director in two administrations, having been appointed to that position first in October 2020. Before becoming budget director, he was New York City's finance commissioner. And before that, in the private sector, he was chief operating officer and chief financial officer of Earl G. Graves Limited, which has properties in both print and digital media. His history of public service before that includes being deputy controller three times. In New York State, Deputy Controller for Pension Investment and Public Finance, Deputy Controller for Nassau County, and New York City's Deputy Controller for Budget and Chief Economist. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Until next time, when you hear a public official talk about a policy, program, or proposal, always remember to ask, what's the data point? Um, but we want to ease in, start light, go heavy. Why don't we start with your plan to deal with the cost of services to migrants? <laughs> so you say, I don't know, I don't know what the latest oh, is, four and a half billion dollars. What, what are you going to do, especially if the feds don't pick up a significant share as heretofore they have not offered? Um, it is a one of, uh, it is a major crisis. You know, I keep telling folks, this is, I'm a, there's a perception for a lot of folks, particularly in the city council, that this is a, like a manufactured crisis. It's not as bad as you guys claim it to be. So far, as of the end of April, we spent like a billion dollars. And we're expecting to spend $1.4 billion this year, this fiscal year, and about $2.9 billion by the next fiscal year. And to be quite honest with you, <clears throat> this is very optimistic for the simple reason that um, our forecast is based on a change in the census of about 40 households a day. Okay, remember that number. 40 households a day. That was our forecast. As of the last two weeks of April, of May, we experienced about 220 a day. So, which means that we're watching the trend to see if the trend persists, in which case we're going to have to upgrade our forecast upward, 
But uh, again, we are hoping that uh, things go back toward the trend line. But if not, the uh, $2.9 billion we're talking about for next year, $4.3 billion total, is going to be on the low end of, uh, the, um, of the forecast range. The Comptroller's Office already came out, uh, you know, indicating that. Uh, Here, I'm going I'm to help us out. Okay. 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 The Comptroller's Office already came out indicating that our forecast is underestimated by some $750 million. And we believe that they could be right. But we're just watching to see what's going to happen what, you know, with the trend, to see if there's going to be a new trend established. But uh, it is a scary proposition whenever you look at the numbers to see where we are. I mean, there is, if you look at uh, the chart of our forecast versus where we are in terms of the actual numbers, there's a miss, big, big divergence of the numbers. So as I said, we forecast based on an estimate of 40 households a day coming to the city. And right now, we're looking at 220 a day. And how many... So that 4.3, you know, and we've discussed this, and I've talked with your staff about it. I would urge you to be more transparent and granular about those dollars, um, just because there's been questions. Are you, you know, is that too low, too high? Now the controller's higher, IBO's lower, the council, as you said, some have said... You know, I think they all acknowledge there's a crisis. Some have said the number, you know, that's, it's, it's overblown. How much of that 4.3 is shelter versus health versus services? Can you break that down for us a little more? Yeah, it's uh, most of the, uh, uh, um, it's uh, basically supplies, meaning anything ranging from um, baby formulas to diapers. Shelter is a huge piece uh, food is another big piece. I mean, how many people are in shelter on a given night now? Currently, we have about 45,800. And how many in hotels? That is more, this is more than what we had in the shelter system before. Before, last how, year. How many of those are in hotels versus Hercs? Uh, I don't have the breakdown, specific breakdown okay. in terms of, uh, but most of them are in the shelter system. We've got okay. about nine or 10,000 Hercs. Okay. Yeah, no, um, I think transparency would help the legitimacy yeah, sure, of that. Sure, As sure. you say, the, the numbers are going up. Your budget also assumes that the city's going to get $600 million from the feds uh, next year and, and $290 million from the state the following year. Um, are those like pipe dream aspirations or realistic expectations? Well, the, uh, initially, it was an uh, expectation that we would get the lion's share of the federal, because the federal government appropriated $800 million for the country. As, for the nation as a whole. And uh, initially, uh, we were told that we'd get a lounge share of that. So therefore, we assume we'll be getting six, $600 million from the federal government. Unfortunately, uh, for the first tranche of the program, which is about $350 million, we only got uh, $30.5 million. Okay? And based on what we heard from uh, FEMA, they claim it's not yet official, uh, no uh, locality can claim more than 10% for the second trash. So we're expecting very little again. So the max we probably so, get. So your budget hole gets bigger <laughs> every day. My budget will get bigger and bigger. So, so therefore, right now, we're basically uh, looking at, uh, at the minimum half a billion dollars gap just for the Fed, shortfall just for the Fed. Gotcha. Um, so, and that's the budget you're negotiating now. Now, the administration... For 
good reason. This is a huge crisis, and every dollar was a dollar not expected. Yes. You know, there are things that you project out, and these are new. But we're talking about $4.3 billion, and there's a lot of attention paid here. Does it divert attention from the fact that you have, on paper, $17 billion of gaps in 25, 26, and 27 for 4.26 and 7? And when CBC adds to that under-budgeted spending and federal aid going away for what's likely to be or desired to be recurring services, I, th I think that's the Fed saying that your money's there. Um, but um, no, sorry. that's okay. Um, you're an in-demand guy, and we're glad to have you. Um, so $4.3 billion is only a quarter of the size of the gaps that you project, but when we add it, it's actually, we think that that gap in 27 isn't the seven on paper, but because of under-budget spending and the fiscal cliffs, it's more like $10.5 billion. Um, is too much attention being paid for the migrants, diverting attention from the fact that you have an underlying fiscal problem that's even bigger than that by far? Uh, yes, but there is a good reason to believe that uh, uh, we're paying a lot of attention to the migrant crisis because at the end of the day, it's consuming a very big chunk of, uh, of the resources that uh, we currently have at our disposal to deal with those issues that we're dealing with. But more importantly, the is the fact that we continue to see growth in the numbers. Okay, it's not like it stopped. Right. Okay, it's growing. As I said, at some point, we, our forecast was based on 40 households. Now we're talking about 220. So and it keeps growing on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's a growing share of our resources growing to take care of those problems and the resources that could have gone to address those fiscal cliffs, all these other issues that you just discussed. Under, understood. So as, as that problem gets bigger, and you said 500 million today, which is not surprising, but you know, as we've talked about, so it keeps on adding on both sides. But speaking of the size of those gaps, whether they be the on paper four, six, seven, or what we would say is six, seven, ten, uh, six, eight, ten and a half, um, you have done three pegs and one vacancy reduction plan. Very active in this. Um, four peg Jacques, maybe we'll start to call you. Um, <laughs> is it enough? Are you doing enough to control spending? You have a budget gap on paper of 25 or $4 billion and, and no additional savings plans. Are you doing enough to reduce the spend in the city? I mean, you have to see, the, the way we look at it is um, we have a peggable base, which is about $32, $33 billion. Okay, so this is the same place that we're, we're going over and over and over. And at some point, you have to look at other areas of the budget, which is what we're doing in terms of uh, looking at uh, health, our spending on health. Uh, we issue an RFP, and our goal is to... Uh, at least generate some a billion dollars at the minimum savings from uh, from that RFP. Uh, and this is just to clarify: this is healthcare costs, health, health insurance costs for, for city employees. For city employees. So you expect a billion out of that? So we try, we try, we try to generate at least a billion dollars from uh, from that. We have other things such as uh, you know debt service. You know we're looking at all aspects of our budget to basically try to squeeze every single dollar that we can out of the system. But ultimately, the goal is to uh, restructure some of the operations, 
okay? So that, because at some point, you can't keep going back to the same source without impacting services, okay? So unless you restructure your operation to deliver service differently, okay, you're gonna have to begin to impact services, which is not our goal. We are not at the point in the business cycle where we believe we have to close firehouses, where we have to do certain things because the economy remains very resilient so far. Uh, we're still lucky uh, in that sense that the economy remains very resilient and so therefore keep generating resources uh, for us. So we're not at the point in the cycle where we say, you know what, we have to close uh, uh, firehouses, we have to close certain uh, uh, begin to impact services. So again, our goal is to restructure our operations. And as I uh, tell folks uh, for the past uh, year and a half or two, my goal at OMB has been to put the emphasis on the aim in the OMB, which is the management aspect of OMB. Turn OMB into a consulting operation where we could work with the agencies to restructure, to help them restructure their operations so that they could deliver services differently than they're currently doing. Yeah, uh, and, and we put out a piece recently looking at the four plan, saying 91% of it hadn't hit services. It had been spending re-estimates, vacancy reductions, debt service. You're starting to pick a little pockets with the fees and fines, a little, a, a, a little more, you know, standard stuff. And given, I mean, spending before the pandemic increased those two years before the first year, 6.1%, 6.7%. Then through the pandemic, shockingly, in the 4% annually on average, and now projected even after your pegs, 3.9%. So there's been a lot of, a lot of and this is city-funded spending, with not talking about the federal bolus, but 90% of it, over 90%, has not hit services. Tell us a little more about what that means to have the M and B, because the B always comes first. Because at the end of the day, the mayor wants you to make sure that the budget's balanced. Oh, yeah. So how, what are you doing on the M? And do you work with other parts of the mayor's office, operations, labor relations? And do the agencies have the capacity to do this? How are we going to actually restructure for efficiency and not to slash services? Because that's what everyone's worried about. And having lived through 14 pegs and I think doing it pretty well, I know it's possible. But that is not the discussion out there. Yeah. Um... Currently, we uh, created uh, a whole operation within OMB dealing with the management. We just hired uh, a gentleman as a deputy director to be in charge of uh, the uh, management operation within OMB. Uh, with uh, the uh, his goal is to you know is to create to expand first our operations research so that uh, agencies, policymakers could use more data into when we, uh, uh, once uh, we're making uh, decisions. Uh, secondly is uh, to uh, focus and create an entire unit within OMB dealing with uh, management, op operations management, mm -hmm. operations management. Uh, we also have a group uh, working at City Hall, uh, working with the first deputy, Whose go, uh, their job is to look at processes, different operations within city operations, look at processes, processes that need to be re-engineered, and they would re-engineer those processes wherever there is a gap in terms of technology. Our folks with the expertise in technology would come in, work with them, help them to tell them which technology is best suited, okay, to fill the gap. 
So again, this is a citywide approach we're doing, working, but again, we're trying to centralize it within OMB, but we also have other folks within City Hall doing some aspect of that work. Ultimately, we'll integrate the two operations so that we could go around working with different agencies, advise them in terms of how best to proceed, how best to structure their operations so they could deliver services without impacting services. Understood. And what we've always said, and this is an important effort, however it's structured. But again, you also have to get the, the unions involved because a lot of the productivity savings that you have to generate, okay, you have a lot of labor rules, a lot of things. Which is that, why I said yeah. labor relations, operations, yeah. OMB, as you said, yeah. First Deputy Mayor Sheena Wright is involved. Um, so all hands on deck. And it usually involves three things. Technical assistance, as you've talked about, identifying problems. Performance data across all the units. And a process like the mayor grew up in in Comstat, mm -hmm. where executives, managers, the front lines are sitting there looking at that data together. Is there any move citywide to have a performance management system cascading from City Hall and within each agency to look at these data? It sounds like a top-down approach is going to be pretty hard. No, it, it, it is, it, it is uh, very important. Again, as I said, uh, our goal is to look at operations management. Uh, you know, Mayor's Office of Operations, they have an entire data group within that operation and to use it in the best possible way. And we at OMB, for sure, we know we have an operational research group and policy that basically use a lot of the data that to, and, and, and they work with every, you know, almost every agency. For every crisis, whether it was COVID, they were working with uh, health department. Right now with the migrant, they the first in line, looking at the data, looking at the policy recommendation that need to be made based on the data that we have, and they formulating those policies based on the data that we currently have, the city has. So again, it's just a question of how best to use the data, the information that we have to help frame and craft our policies. So moving back from the M to the B. Yes. We're in budget season. Fiscal year starts, I don't know, 30 some odd days. I'm not doing the count. Um, it's going to be a tough year. Quick question on timing. We have a council primary the 28th. I know. You're not in the running for a casino at 75 Park Place, but what's your bet? Do we have a budget before that or after that? Uh, my bet is uh, we, uh, at least, uh, we're gearing up to have a budget after the uh, primary. Um, which is which is tight window for very, those who aren't counting tight. between the 28th and the 31st. Very, 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 very tight window. And it right looks it. like an especially tough year with a pretty big chasm. There's always negotiations mm -hmm. back and forth. But just for example, the council believes that there's no short-term problem. There's plenty of money wants to fund more, more things. And the other day passed a package of three, but it might have been four bills, expanding city FEPs. These are housing vouchers. We had done a report just before that showing that the current investment in, in, in rental assistance accelerated hugely and this year in the last mod then add 150 up to 600 million but then it's budgeted under 200 next year so we have a 450 million dollar fiscal cliff under the current program and the council just voted to expand this eligibility huge what is the prospects of that becoming law and if it does what does that do to your budget i mean let me to answer your question i i i, I tell folks you you 
you know, you have to appreciate the context within which we just created uh, the executive budget. That's, that, so that, that could put things in perspective for you. Uh, when we are, were creating uh, the executive budget, we had a number of things that we had to juggle. Uh, one, the first thing is the macroeconomic environment. Okay, <clears throat> you have macroeconomic environment where you have, you know, the economy was, you know, slowing, and most forecasters was uh, 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 predicting at least, not if not a, 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 a slowdown, uh, if not a recession, but at least a slowdown. And at the same time, you have stubbornly high inflation, even though inflation was ceasing, but you still, it still was high. In the midst of that environment, we're negotiating labor contract. Okay, we have the migrant crisis. Okay, um, you have the June primary that we have to take into account. We have the uh, governor's budget uh, looking at uh, cutting our budget by a billion dollars. Okay, all right. At the same time, you had a resilient city economy, which at the time we knew was going to generate more revenue than we anticipated. So, and we knew that that piece is going to create a problem because the council is going to pay attention only to that piece of the puzzle, right. the revenue side, <clears throat> because they totally ignore the expense side of the ledger. They only focus their energy on the revenue side. So there is money. There is money to be spent. So this is the environment that you're dealing with. I mean, even like about two weeks ago, they came out with a report with $1.8 billion, they claim that uh, we have more than we anticipated. The Friday prior to that uh, release of the report, the staff briefed them, telling them, listen, we have a shortfall of about, at the minimum, half a billion dollars from the federal government in terms of asylum seekers, which we account for in the budget that we have to adjust, we have to you know, recognize in the adapted budget. And even though we didn't get the entire cuts that we expected initially from the, in term from, from the state, we got about like half a billion dollars cut a year. So these two items alone, okay, would basically consume a billion dollars. Or they claim that, you know what, we have $1.8 billion to spend to restore all the cuts and then to invest a billion, uh, $17 billion in CDFEPS uh, uh, vouchers. I mean, this is the kind of mindset that you're dealing with. So it's going to be extremely difficult in this environment to really negotiate a budget, okay? Because what the mindset do? is, the mind, well, I'm counting on us educating them. I mean, you have a role to play. Uh, the, uh, 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 all the fiscal monitors, uh, all the uh, budget watchdogs, everyone, the digital boards, every single one of us has a role to play to make sure that they understand the nature of the beast that, okay, you, have, you may have some resources, but at the same time, you also have a lot of needs, okay? It's not like the needs are going away. You could ignore them. You could lowball them. That's what they did initially with the asylum seekers. They ignore it, and then they say, oh, it's not true. It's not $4.3 billion, okay? You could do all of these things, but at some point, you have to acknowledge they exist, and you have to pay for them. Okay, so it's our role, it's our, it's our job to educate, to talk to them, and which is what we're doing every day, constantly. Push back, push back, you know what? Yes, we acknowledge there may be some additional resources, but also there's, there are a lot of new needs that we have to recognize. And unless you take these things into account, 
you know, they think you could add money to reserve, make investment, you could do everything with a billion dollars. Could you commit to whatever is funded in this budget that is a recurring program actually putting that money in the budget so we could have more realistic sense of that ongoing obligation? That's one of the challenges here. Like on the current city FEPS, it pretends that it goes away. It's not that it exactly pretend that it goes away. It, it's just uh, many of these things, you know, sometimes uh, circumstances change, okay? When circumstances change, you, you, you cannot know for sure, okay? We have a sense that there's no, we have we baseline a portion of it. But, but I mean, the current yeah. city FEPS, and, and, as you, and listen, you, you know this better than I, and, and I'm sure. The current city FEPS, these are housing vouchers for people to pay rent. I mean, that's not going to radically change like July 1st. So this is the challenge. Yeah, but at the same time, you also have a housing crisis. Because this is, yes. this is the problem that people must, you know, only 5% of folks with in the shelter system with vouchers okay, exit the system. 5%. So I could give as many vouchers as, as I want to folks if the housing supply is not there. Okay? I'm not going to solve that problem. I'm not going to get people out of the... They, of course, they, they, we have a lot of folks with vouchers. So be, the fact that we don't know the placement rate, how quickly people are going to get out of the system, that's the reason why you have that uncertainty. You cannot know for sure. Okay? What, you know, how much therefore we fund them on an ongoing basis. Okay. So we have a portion of it baseline, and we see the demand. If the demand is there, there's an uptick in the demand, so therefore we have to fund it. And does this, do these current bills become law, the, the recently passed council bills? We are still reviewing our options. I don't know at this point in time what we're going to do. We're still reviewing our options, and um, hopefully not. Because uh, you can imagine adding $17 billion okay, uh, worth of uh, needs on top for the entire five-year financial plan on top of all the current needs that we have. It is, uh, it is, I mean. Uh, as, as we said in Sean's recent paper, <laughs> the bill should have a cost and a, what's called in our federal world to pay for. Where is the money coming from? So let's move back. They don't, they don't really care about it because this is not the problem. They, that's, that's the mindset. The mindset is it's your job to fund it, Okay. Our job is to come up to be as creative as we can be, okay? It's your job, OMB, to fund it. <laughs> That's so, the mindset. I wish we had more time to go back to firehouses, <laughs> rather, you know, in terms of service cuts, because I'm not sure that, we're, that where they were built 100 years ago is actually where they're needed today. But before that, we'll come back if there's time, but before that, you talked about the macroeconomic situation. You know, remote work is here to stay, but how that looks and what's impact is on office space on, you know, commercial downtowns, all this is still uncertain. Um, there's a 22%, I think Alaire said a 22% vacancy rate in commercial office space, yet, you know, the final roll came out and commercial real estate values are now set at the city at 97% of where they were pre, pre-COVID, returned to 97%, obviously a little higher for trophy in class A, a little lower for class B and class C. Um, is that a realistic valuation of our office space, given what we're seeing both in the vacancies and as rents or as um, leases are being renewed? As you know, the um, 
what are called the uh, real property income and expense data serve as the basis for valuation of uh, properties, uh, commercial properties. <clears throat> and uh, there, is, there is a lag between those values, when those values are, in other words, for fiscal year 24, okay, the Department of Finance used uh, calendar year 2021 income and expense data, okay, from business, from, from the uh, properties. So there's a lag, okay? So all current conditions will be reflected in upcoming uh, uh, um, uh, valuations uh, down the road. But, and for that, we adjusted our forecast by 10% for fiscal year down, mm -hmm. okay, for fiscal year 24, and by 2%, 2% thereafter. Yeah, you, so our forecast is very conservative compared with where the Department of Finance is because of the lag, okay? So valuation versus revenue in the budget. Exactly. I mean, you have your... So we're very conservative. So you're projecting property tax increases at 2.5% a year over the 24 to 27, revenues in total 2% a year. How conservative is that? What upside potential? Is that a billion, two billion, three? What, no, what we're kind looking, of upside we're, No, no, we're looking at a drop from where we are now, from 24 to 25. There's a drop, and then we bought more or less. You mean, you know, but those uh, out-year forecasts, is there more revenue you think available? Uh, no, I mean, this is not. Uh, this is not very. Uh, as I said, that once you adjust down by ten percent, mm -hmm. this is a huge adjustment. Right. From twenty four to twenty five, and then if going at two, two and a half. So you say it's realistic, not conservative. It's, it's not. It's it's, it's very realistic. Uh, yeah, yours. Um, quick last short question: The workforce is down to three hundred thousand mm -hmm. full time, full time equivalent. Um, Twenty seven thousand down from its peak. Personnel services bulletin 212 from March 13th, one of my favorite personnel services bulletins ever. Um, speeds up hiring and OMB's turnaround time. Are you doing everything you can to get people hired? Because the, I think, reasonable challenge is that some services are being affected negatively because of staffing shortages. Can you do more? We, uh, we're doing all that we can. As, as I, don't, I don't have to tell you, you know, this, the environment that we're in, a very tight labor market, everyone is competing for the same workers. And unfortunately, we don't pay as, as much as the private sector. So therefore, it's always difficult to uh, 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 attract a lot of employees. And more importantly, it's not only attracting more employees, uh, you're also losing employees to private sector. So what we've been doing is... Uh, we have what I call a sprint, a vacancy reduction sprint, with GCAS leading the way. This is the first time in the city's history where you have a very active program to recruit employees. The city has always been passive. We give out a civil service test, you take the test, we call your name, that's what the city always done. Now we're changing the paradigm, okay? You have a czar within each agency, Okay, and their job is basically to put together a plan to recruit and retain employees. That's their job. Okay, we GCAS also been part, uh, has done a very good outreach. We partner with the city council, with uh, DC thirty seven, to do a hiring halls throughout uh, the city. So far, we had like six thousand people participated in those hiring halls with thirty two hundred interviews, and we had job offers for like. Thousand. Are you tracking the time to hire data? 
Yeah, we, we're doing that. Uh, we are um, we also doing a pilot beginning June 1st for uh, telework uh, with uh, uh, DC37. Uh, we uh, uh, have like what I call equity fund as part of the contract to basically pay uh, a market rate to t- hard to equip titles for certain titles that are very competitive, hard to equip. So we have uh, a fund with DC37 where we could tap into that fund to pay employees market rate to attract them to come to the city. So OMB also basically we uh, uh, streamline our entire review process down to 10 days. I saw that. Uh, if, if, if an agency is budget, budgeted, has a headcount and is budgeted, why should you have to approve it all afterwards? What do you mean? They, uh, we, so if it's in their budget, why do they ever have to come back once they have identified a person and even ask you about it? Uh, because uh, you have salary uh, issues, you, know, you have equity issues, because what happens is in, in an environment that you're in right now, you cannot recruit employees, so therefore you tend to pay this employee more when you have somebody else or two or three people doing the same work for the past 10 years. So that's where the centralized so oversight. You, so you have to have that review to ensure that you have equity. Uh, and you also have salary range set by between unions and uh, management. So therefore, you know, if you cannot recruit people, what any manager would do is try to say, okay, you know what? My competitor is paying $10,000 more. I'm going to pay $10,000 more. $10,000 more means, okay, I'm outside of the range. So you have grievance from the unions. So you have to take care of all these issues. So therefore, we have to leave you. It's a pain in the butt, but you know, it's part of the process. I've, I called it that when I was. <laughs> so why don't we open up for some questions uh, from others? If you have questions, I'm looking. I'll try to look far and near. I'm terrible at the looking far. I, I saw Peter first, and then Kathy. Just to follow up on Andrew's question uh, at the outset about migrant spending, in assessing the numbers, is there an effort to, in effect, assess and balance relative priorities to the city's residents and the city itself of the different components of spending, whether it be on police, fire, sanitation, parks, education, against this migrant spending, or is it just whatever it takes for the migrant spending is spent and without regard to, in effect, a balancing or assessment against other needs? Uh, to put it uh, simply, it's uh, we don't sit down and say, you know what, we're going to do X, Y, or Z, or, or put uh, other priorities in terms of our goal is to make sure that the migrant and all the services are funded Equally, I mean, this is this is normal. It's not like we have a choice, okay? Because if we don't, there is a right to shelter in New York City. If we don't fund uh, the migrant crisis, we get sued. We get lost every day from uh, you know from every corner of uh, of the city. It's not like you know we have a choice to choose between which of uh, the services we have to provide. Thank you, Kathy. Um, just real quickly, because I'm sure you could speak a long time on this issue. Um, discussing the state budget, how did the city make out in the state budget, and what are some of the high points and some of the lower budget? Um, hmm. 
We uh, put it this way. I think it's, uh, I would say, the net impact is nil. Okay, we got a uh, billion dollars over two years from the state. At the same time, we got uh, half a billion dollars cut a year. So over the two-year period, is basically you got a billion dollars here and you lose a billion dollars there. But more importantly for us is our housing policy. Uh, it's uh, totally derailed. We, I mean, we're trying really hard to, uh, in terms of pushing for conversion, trying to see if we could rescue 421A. We're trying really hard, but I don't see any traction per se in Albany at this point in time. To me, that's the biggest piece that I, that I think that is uh, missing as part of the equation. Back to what you were saying and giving yeah. vouchers for, you know, yeah. apartments that people can't find. People can't find. The supply is not there. The supply is not there. Not there. Karim. So uh, thanks for coming today. So obviously on housing, um, we need a lot of affordable housing. You know, I know my company is focused on developing it. Um, one of the issues we have is projects are taking way too long to get from concept to completion even to get to a construction closing phase. I mean, we're holding projects for years when the city needs affordable housing. And it's not all, all on the OMB, but some of it seems to be stuck in approvals, staffing. What can we do to get the train moving a lot faster so we can deliver the affordable housing the city needs? I always tell folks, if OMB did not exist, the agency would have created OMB. Because every problem is always OMB. OMB is always in the way. It's never the agencies themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, we working really hard. We trying to push the agencies to hire because again, the agencies they have the. Uh, it's not a funding problem. They have the budget authority to hire folks. We're pushing them to hire folks as, as quickly as possible. But more importantly, they also have to change many of their processes, and which is what we start. I want to start the discussion about uh, the management piece. They have to, I mean, many of the agency heads, you know, they come in, you know, they, they love what they do, but they don't really sit down and look. I, mean, I always tell folks about an experience I had when I was in finance. It used to take like six, I mean, six months, okay, to get uh, a, a, a star approved, okay? Six months. And we did, uh, uh, we, we mapped the entire process. We cut it down to like three months. And I wasn't pleased with it. And one day I said, you know what? Let me look at the questions that we're asking folks and the requirement of the law. The requirement of the law was like two simple things. Whether you make half a billion dollars a year and you're a resident in New York City. The list of questions we asked folks were like six pages, okay? It was basically, you know, and so folks submitted applications. They were always incomplete, okay? So we have to go back to them, ask them for more information. So we changed the entire process with a half-page application, and we cut down the entire process, okay, to about like a month. And I wasn't still pleased with it because it still took for my too long. So the point I'm making is, if you don't look at your processes, okay, if you have a problem in one aspect of your operation, you have to look to see what's going on, to see what's wrong with the oper that operation, and then redesign it. And trust me, once you start mapping it, you're going to see what I call the spaghetti.
You know, you see them going this way, that way. You like, you know, it makes absolutely no sense. The employees themselves will tell you it makes no sense. Okay, so again, as I said, on our hand, we push really hard. We go into the same review. I have my team reviewing every aspect, whether it's CPs, okay, the certificate proceeds that we issue, whether it's the pause, the personnel, uh, we review. We re review the entire process in our own operation to make sure we expedite the processes, everything that is on our hand. We're asking the agencies to do the same, okay? If you have a bottleneck somewhere, you have to identify the bottleneck, okay? And what we're trying to do now, we're realizing that everybody's gonna always point finger at us. We're creating an entire management group within OMB. Whenever we see a problem, we're gonna go and work with agencies, okay, to solve that problem, to make sure we streamline their operations because we know at the end of the day, they're gonna keep blaming us and we're gonna keep telling them, stop. But at the end of the day, everybody's always looking at OMB as a old big bad guy, okay? And so therefore, always pointing finger at, at OMB, but, which is never the problem, okay? So again, I understand the challenges. That's one aspect of the problem. The second problem, aspect of the problem we currently have is you have supply chain issues, okay? I mean, everybody knows. You order things, materials, you can get them. Construction materials, you can get them on time. So construction is taking longer. Cost is also, has also risen, okay? You also have to revisit, review uh, your estimates. Th those things take times, okay? So you have to take all of these factors into account to explain why there's a delay right now in terms of the construction. But again, all of this thing can be solved, okay, if you really focus your energy on trying to fix the problem. Yes, sir. Thanks. Why don't I, I see three guys. Why don't I go Kent, John, Jamie. Uh, Jacques, first of all, thank you for being here and all your service. I think probably with the exception of Valer, there aren't too many other people in the room that can appreciate uh, the challenges that you confront every day in your job. So thank, thank you. You. Um, you mentioned very briefly labor has to be part of the solution. Um, I think with the recent settlement uh, with DC 37, if once that ripples through everything, I, I think CBC is projecting the impact of 16 billion um, over the plan period. What did, and I, I think everybody understands with uh, the current job market um, issues that you've identified that paying our workers is important. So whether it would cost 12 billion or 20 billion or 16 billion, I don't think is as much of the issue is, what productivity um, givebacks did you get or healthcare benefit contributions in these negotiations? Um. I'm about liberty to discuss many of the things that, uh, uh, that were echoed out of the negotiation. But as I indicated to you earlier, we, this is the first time, okay, the city has issued an RFP in 40 years again? What is it? 40 years. Okay, this is the first time. We issue an RFP for, for the health, health insurance. For the health insurance. First time, okay? This didn't happen by accident. Bloomberg tried, okay, and they, they, they did not succeed. Okay, now we're in the process of reviewing the responses we got from the RFP. Okay, and we believe we're gonna get a very solid product. 
okay, at a very competitive price. And that's going to set the city, that's going to modernize the way we deliver uh, uh, healthcare in New York City for our employees in the process generate some savings. So again, as I said, a lot of things, you don't, you don't, we don't discuss them publicly because they are part of discussion with labor unions and you know, as you discuss with labor unions sometimes, they see things differently than we see things until we have an agreement, final agreement, we don't discuss them, but trust me, okay? We didn't just walk in and give up you know, $16 billion without some concessions. We're in the process of, as I said, uh, reviewing the uh, RFPs, uh, you know, the responses that we have gotten, and we got some good, solid uh, responses that we are very proud of. We're very, you know, and uh, sooner or later we'll, you know, once we have an agreement in terms of the selection, because you have a, a committee of labor and management selecting, you know, which company. Yes, Everything is complicated. It's, 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 it's not like we just can't select. But, and on the other side, other part of what Ken said in terms of, and I'll, I'll add some words to it, in terms of labor productivity of work rules, job uh -huh. titles, there was, that was not a part of any of these contracts. Is that a missed opportunity? No, there, there are things. There, as I said, there are things, as I said, we don't, which, which are not public yet. Okay. okay? But uh, there are things as part of the labor agreement. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll wait. So usually, you know, in that press release it says, and there was this, you know, this, this um, agreement, but let's turn to John. Um, first of all, I want to add my thanks to everyone else's. It's always wonderful to hear your perspectives and appreciate the time you're spending with us. Um, and an enormous uh, uh, appreciation for the complexity of what you're trying to accomplish. As we move out of the emergency part of COVID into what some are calling the new normal, there's an increasing set of beliefs that there have been fundamental shifts in behavioral patterns, attitudes, and as a consequence, the economy. And you, uh, when in the commercial real estate part of the conversation, you know, in terms of the assumptions you're making, clearly reflect that. Mm -hmm. Was wondering where else, as you look forward in the New York City economy, you're seeing structural changes, industries that are not going to come back to where they were pre-COVID in a time frame that makes sense, and industries that have been accelerated, and sort of how that shapes your outlook for the way our economy is going to evolve. Yeah, this is a very complicated question. Again, as I said to folks, as an economist, I'm always uh, waiting to see whether the trend uh, is successful remains in place after a recession. It has to be tested first. Before I said, you know, this is a new way going forward, I have to see whether or not uh, he, uh, that trend persists after a recession. Because from my perspective, I'm trying to see, because right now, the balance has shifted toward labor, away from capital, so the question for me, how long will capital let, you know, the labor in control, whether or not they're going to try to shift, you know, recalibrate things, okay? And a recession always is an opportunity where capital has a hope in, okay? 
So before I say this is a new way going forward, as I said, I would like to see whether or not, you know, if there's a recession, if that is continue to persist, then from my perspective, that's a new way going forward. But in the short term, there are certain sectors that are very much impacted. Real estate is a big piece of that puzzle. Uh, the retail sector, okay, is very big piece of that puzzle. Uh, but you also have some shift away from Manhattan toward the Bulls, outer Bulls, okay? Uh, maybe, you know, some retails or some restaurants, you know, in the city may be impacted, but businesses in the neighborhood in Brooklyn, Queens, you know, getting a, a, a lot of businesses. Uh, again, as I said, it's a lot of things that we don't know for sure if they're going to persist, uh, but uh, uh, in the short term, there, is some, there are some dislocations. And hopefully, as I said, uh, we've seen these things before in New York City, where folks here are so smart, very smart, and they always recalibrate their business model okay, to adjust to the new times, and I'm expecting them to do so again. So I'm not expecting, even with the huge vacancies that we have in New York City, even if that were to persist, that trend were to persist over time, I'm expecting folks who recalibrate their business model and to adjust to the new trend and to the new reality. Jamie. I'll, again, thank you for coming. Um, everybody else said it better than I did. Um, going back to a question two ago about the pro importance of process, when the mayor came in, he and, um, and the comptroller said that they were going to take on this issue of late-paying nonprofits in the city. And anybody who's involved in the nonprofit world as a board member or an operator or whatever knows that that's, um, it's, it's, it's not, this administration didn't invent the problem. It's, a, it's been a persistent issue and costs nonprofits you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars every year. There's a lot of data about this. Do you feel like you've made progress just around the basic issues of processing contracts, renewing contracts, working with the comptroller's office to make sure they're registered on time, paying them, you know, in a more timely fashion? So yeah, we, I think we made significant progress uh, compared with uh, uh, where we were at the beginning of this administration because, um, you know, I, 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 I can tell you how many calls I used to um, uh, receive uh, on a weekly basis of uh, folks complaining about going under, going out of business because they couldn't make payroll. And, uh, and I was getting those calls every day, okay? Um, we made significant progress, uh, but we are not there yet, okay? We are not there yet. And, and sometimes it's the nature of the beast itself, okay? We have an emergency, you reach out to a not-for-profit, you tell them, hey, stop doing the work, they start doing the work. Contract has not yet been registered. It takes six months by the time they get the contract to register, and you can't pay them until the contract is, is registered. So it's sometimes the nature of the business itself. You know, you call, you know, every time there's an emergency, you call, you know, you call them, and they always raise their hand. And knowing, the challenge I always tell the folks is, if you know you don't have a credit line, Okay, why do you take on that business, new business, because you know that's going to put strain on your finances? They always say, well, you know, we have to serve, which is true. 
they have to, you know, that's, 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 uh, that's at the core of what they do is service. So every time you call them, they always raise their hand. And, uh, and as a result, they pay the price sometimes. But we're trying our best uh, to institute a no, new model. Uh, I believe DOE is looking at new ways. Uh, I don't know if it's public yet. I'm looking for Latanya. Uh, no? Okay, but they're looking at new ways <laughs> to make sure that uh, 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 we find better ways to pay folks in terms of advancing people. Uh, resources up front, so to alleviate uh, the cash flow uh, challenges that they have on the back end. Just as we wrap up, getting back to your M, do you have a dashboard? Do you have a set of indicators for this, a dashboard, and who's responsible for that? Because that's the challenge here, because it's all over the place. As you say, OMB is always blamed, but who's responsible? And what does that dashboard look like? What indicators are tracked? Yeah, um, it's everybody trying to create a dashboard to try to make life easy. It's not as simple as a simple dashboard. I mean, you know it. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's I, a question I of what but you're at, measuring. At, at the yeah, end of the day, at the end of the day, if your I indicator mean, is how many calls you get who are yelling at you, and I know that indicator. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been there, but you know, I, I, looking at you it. know, I, I used to see report in the city is 99% clean. <laughs> okay, and you all know you go, you walk around, you're like you're 99% clean. You know, it's just a question of what so we'll, you're measuring. So we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll wrap uh, up with you have to have good data. <laughs> you have to have just good data and you have data to know what help. you're measuring. What you're measuring. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, you know, I want to echo, and I'm sorry I didn't get to all the questions. Thanks, Elaine. I saw your hand there. Um, I, I'm looking. But I want to thank you, echo everyone's thought, um, everyone's appreciation. Also say, um, urge you to keep pushing harder because those numbers, the, those gaps are big. And as you say, they're getting bigger. And we're, you're going to adopt a budget. And the push from the council is to add more recurring spending. And as you say, your revenue estimates are realistic. That's just going to open those huge gaps here. Well, Any last words before we go with that well, optimism? The last word is uh, I'm counting on you to push, uh, to keep educating the council uh, so that they know. Our job is to talk to them, to make sure they understand the challenges that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, but it also pays to have people reinforcing the message uh, to them that uh, it is, uh, we are in a very critical situation and that everyone has to be extremely careful okay, of uh, the spending appetite. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.